Alrighty. Um, Ephesians, right? We like uh, jumped into Ephesians, man, a couple months ago, and we're just now in chapter two. And I promise you we won't be in Ephesians for the next decade. We're actually going to go through all of Ephesians 2 tonight, and it's going to be awesome. And before you do that, though, this is really key. I want you to take everything that you've learned about the Christian faith, everything you know about church right now, like pull it all up. Maybe it's a small file in your brain. I don't know. I want you to delete that file. I work in IT, and uh, we have like, sometimes you have to like do this data recovery disaster stuff. When you lose the data, it's just like horrible. But I want you intentionally for our purposes tonight, if we're going to get anything out of tonight, because this is going to change a lot of things. I think this is probably one of the most significant messages that we can learn from the Word tonight. I, I need you to delete all the, the Christian just stuff we've accumulated over the past, I don't know, decades of your life? Who knows? Weeks? I don't know. But it's important that we come to the Lord with this Word with a fresh slate. And uh, I'm excited for it. So, if you have a Bible, open up to Ephesians 2. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. I'm going to read it all. You can just close your eyes and listen to my powerful voice? No. All right. Ephesians 2. And we're going to go through all of it, so hang in there. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our own flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ— by grace you have already been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everyone say seated. 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 In order that the ages to come might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far above off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of a dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law, of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Hang in there, we're almost there. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Then 
you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Woo! Wow! All of Ephesians 2 right there. Next week's going to be Ephesians 3. But this, I mean, right? Like, you listen, you're like, holy cow, that sounded really holy. You know, like, maybe you didn't get a whole lot of that stuff. And it says a whole bunch of different things in here, but there's one central theme in here. And our key verses are right here, 5 and 9. You can sum up this whole entire chapter in 5 through 9, and I'm going to read it one more time. Even when we are dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The key word there is that we were dead, but we were made alive with him, and we were seated with Christ. That's where we're going to dwell the whole entire night. It doesn't sound like that, that you know, tangible. It's a little abstract. We're seated with Christ. What does that mean? And first, I want to just describe to you a scenario. Everyone pay attention. This is really key. So you've been invited to a dinner party. Right? Yeah, I want to go. I'm hungry too. You've been invited to a dinner party, right? And it's going to be awesome. And uh, Colin Mahalis, Colin, throw your hand up. That guy's a total stud. I love that guy. So, so Colin Mahalis is throwing on this banquet, right? And if you know anything about Colin Mahalis, you know that he, like, agonizes over the tiniest little details of food. Like, if, and this guy's the, the, the best, like, critic. He's the, the best palate. You know, you want to know where the best restaurants to go. He will tell you, oh, you got to go off this exit here. You got to knock three times this door. The password's Guido. You'll go back there and you'll find, like, a candlelit table. He's that guy that knows all that, right? And so he has the best food choices. He has the best pairings, everything. So now Colin is throwing you like this, this, this banquet dinner, right? And, uh, you know, it's like the meat, it's steak, and it's been cured for like nine years, and it's been like dried by the wings of hummingbirds in Africa, you know, or something crazy like that. <laughs> and, and so you go there, and, and so you basically see tons of work. And so he's there, and he, he's been waiting for you. This is all in your honor. He cannot wait for you to come. He's been just agonizing with the detail to make sure it's perfect, the steak's the right temperature. Everything is dialed. And you come in, carrying some hot dogs. You want an apron. You're like, I need to make dinner. I'm hungry. And he's like, what? Don't you see this? He's like, well, I, I brought hot dogs. And um, I, I can't receive that. Like, I just, I, I really think we should have hot dogs tonight. It's, it's kind of what I, I brought. And, and let me help. Like, you did all that. That's great. But let me, let me help. He's like, no, no. Like, honestly, like, enjoy it. And you're like, no, but I insist. I mean, like, the hot dogs are like Oscar Mayer wiener. You know, you have, like, the song stuck in your head. Like, it's really good. It's like, you know, how crummy would that feel? Right? And this is what Jesus has done for us. He has prepared this banqueting table for us, which is the salvation of our lives. And we come together. And when it says that we are saved by grace through faith, it means that we have no part in it. We need to detune our minds from thinking that we somehow have to earn salvation, that we have to earn our place with Christ when He has done it more 
than we could ever imagine. It's, it's put in all sorts of details, the lavishing uh, gifts for us with our intentions at the forefront of his mind. And when we, we come and think about Christianity and, and we think of that, I need to do things. In our first inclination, we get saved and we're like, I got to do things. I got to prepare things. It flies in the face of the exact purposes that God has for us. Christianity does not begin with walking. And if you have been with us for the past several weeks, we gave out a bunch of copies of Sit, Walk, Stand, and it's been changing lives. And the key fundamental truth is that the Christian walk is not about walking, it is first about sitting. And that's why we're going to just marinate on this, that we are seated in Christ. Because it says that we are in Christ, what does that mean? You know, we're in Christ and he's in us. There's all those scriptures about that. And so if we're in Christ, well, what is it? Well, where's Christ right now? Well, Hebrews 1, 3 says, after he had provided purifications for sins, after Jesus left the earth, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. If we are in Christ, then we are seated with Christ in the majesty of heaven. Kind of crazy. You're like, I still don't understand it. The primary purpose for each one of us is to know that that is the first and fundamental issue of our contemporary faith. We, we get saved, and we each all have our different stories, and, and maybe we're, you know, some of us aren't saved in here. I don't know, but we come into that, and we immediately start thinking, i got to do something. i got to justify what is now transformed. God gave me a gift I need to return. If you've seen, like, The Office, you know, and you have, like, uh, Andy, and someone does something nice for Andy, and he has to, like, return a favor back, you know, and he will not be overdone. He's like, you give me a gift card, pow, thank you note, you know, and he's just, like, all about returning. Never let that to be undone. And sometimes I think that we think that God gave me a great parking spot. I got to do, like, build a church for him or something, you know, and we, we, we think that God's playing this scorecard, and maybe not to that extreme, but, you know, something good happens, or this is me, like, Lord, if you give me Camille as a wife, I will build a school in El Salvador. Wait, no. I mean, like, like you, you start bartering with, with God somehow, you know? And we begin to think of our behavior as something key to that. Now, when we, we think of resting, you've had a long week. It's Thursday. This weekend's coming up. We typically go and rest. And we think of rest as the end of a lot of work. We think of rest as like, rest is my reward when I've completed the task, right? You go on vacation, you're taking a vacation from work. We associate rest at the end of a lot of labor. And so for God to say that we are seated with him, our first duty is to rest in him seems completely counterintuitive. And I have four things I want to talk about about sitting that are fundamental for us to get. And remember, this is us with a blank slate. This is us looking at Christianity for the very, very first time. And the first thing is that sitting is about resting in God. It's purely about resting in God. Now, what does that mean? God created the divine order of us in relationship to him to be him first and then us. Him first and then us. But look at what happened. If we look at creation, we look at Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth, and bam, there's water and there's sun and there's light and there's plants and, you know, all that stuff, Right? took God six days, and at the end of six days, he made Adam. Now, Adam's first day was the seventh day. What did God do on the seventh day? He rested. Adam was brought into creation, and his first duty was to rest. His first duty was to say, wow, God, you've been busy. 
That's pretty awesome. You know? It wasn't like God's like, oh man, like, gosh, that tree needs to be finished there. Oh, you know? Like, no. Adam, like, boom, he's on the earth. And it's like, it's done. It's like, and God's like, yep, welcome to vacation. You know? God is saying, your first responsibility to me, when you come to salvation, when our hearts meet, when you are mine, the first thing I want you to do is go on vacation and to just marinate on my goodness. God's saying, I've teed you up, you know, four weeks in Fiji, on the water bungalow, overlooking the water, all meals included. That's what God says when he calls you to salvation. He calls us into his rest to first enjoy him. And we skip that. We, We work to try and get to that point sometime later. He's calling, he's like, come and enjoy what I have done. Sitting is an attitude of rest. The posture itself is resting. All you guys are sitting in chairs, right? And maybe, uh, I know, I saw RJ, like, out, you know, biking here, and I know some people kind of walk here, and we spend our day, and, like, you know, we walk, and, like, we're tired, but when we sit down, the full weight of our bodies are just like, ah, it's resting on the chair, and we feel relaxed because suddenly our muscles are at ease. And so when it says that we are seated with Christ, that we are seated with him, the weight and the strain of our life must rest on Jesus. What, are, what is that weight that we carry? How about the weight of performance like, God, I messed up, what do I do? What about the pressure of, of my future? What about my past? Like, we have all those things, but when we are seated with Christ, just as you're seated in the chair, your muscles relax because all the weight's on the chair, All of our weight when we're seated in Christ is on him. And we can take great joy in knowing that we just get to enjoy the heavenly vacation. Vacation in heaven sounds great. That's what he's calling us to. Isaiah 58, 13 says this. And the Lord's talking about the Sabbath. And he's like, and he knows that we're going to work so much he knows that we're going to try and, and like gear our muscles and, and we're going to try and earn. He says, if you take the Sabbath and honor it, then I will cause you to delight yourself in the Lord. He's like, if you rest, if you, if you just like chill out, I will cause you to delight in me. And Jesus modeled this too. He didn't say, come all you because I have a big list of things for you to do. You know, no one would have followed him. And he's like, he was like, come all you who are labored and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus didn't call someone who's like, I got a lot of work to get done. Maybe you guys can come get saved because man, that church isn't going to build itself, you know. He's like, no, I will come and give you rest. I will come and give your soul peace. That's so much better. The second thing is sitting is not about God. Sitting, sorry, is about God's completed work. Sitting is about God's completed work. Again, remember that the Adam didn't get there like day three, like, all right, God put me to work. What can I do? No. Adam got there when it was all said and done and finished. God left no loose ends for Adam to pick up. I moved like two months ago, three months ago, a while. Three months ago. I still have boxes in my garage. Like, isn't it like typical Americanism to like leave loose ends? That we like kind of do something about like 85% there. You know, like I'll come back to that later. And, and we, we, we think of like our modern lives like, I just need to do the bare minimum to get by right now and I'll come back and I'll fill that in later. And sitting, when we really look at it, the model is that we need to know that God didn't leave any loose ends anywhere, anywhere. It was all done for us. Our salvation, the forgiveness of sins, our redemption, our inheritance in him, all the creation, all the purposes that God wanted to do, everything he wanted to give for us has all been done to completion. 
He didn't leave any loose ends for us. And it's never in, in the scriptures where uh, it's talking about the, the future. It's not like, um, you know, Jesus will forgive and maybe if you're good, you'll become sons and daughters and you might have an inheritance. No, it never talks about it ever in the future tense or something to be attained. It's like you are. Notice it doesn't say, please sit down. It says you are seated. It is done. But we have an identity issue where we think of like, I got to run first and then sit. And God's saying, no, I, you're already seated. You're in me and we are seated. So act like it. I finished it. And when we have the very nature of trying, we miss everything. The very nature of us to try to be good. The very nature of us to try and figure out this Christianity thing. I, I, I love it because, and I was like this way too, it's like, I need to know like, the Christian formula. You know, like two tablespoons of this, you know, a pinch of that. You know, like, what is the Christian formula for me not to have my life suck is what I want. I was like, come on, like, God, there's got to be like some little dance or some little secret underwear you got to wear. Like, what, what's the combination right here, you know? And he's like, no, there is none. It's been done. You just need to first rest in it. That's great because you look all through the scripture, if you look at the promises of God, I, I need you, as you read the word, to read it from this mindset that you are seated with Christ and all the finishing work is done. And the scriptures will suddenly make a lot more sense. We think of things that we read in the scriptures, things we need to attain, a goal, an effort, a trial. And we look at Romans 6. Just read Romans 6. It says, we were baptized with Christ. Huh? We were crucified with him. What? We were buried with him. That was a long time ago. You were raised with him. It's like, I wasn't even here. Right? That's like 2,000 years ago. How could I be there with him? It's because we are now seated with Christ. Is that we have been united with Christ for all of eternity and all of his finishing work was for us in mind. We don't have to attain anything. Hallelujah. Third, is sitting is our position in grace. Sitting is our position in grace. Verse 8 in Ephesians says, it is by grace that you are saved through faith. It is by grace that you were saved through faith. You could almost read that as, it is by grace that you were saved through sitting. How about that? It was by grace that you were saved through sitting, meaning that you didn't do anything. We think of faith as something that we got to do. I think that that verse makes a whole lot more sense when you say, by grace you were saved through sitting, on your duff, doing nothing, because you could contribute nothing. Super sorry on that. You could do nothing. And it's great because God wants all of the glory. As much as you mean well, as much as you want to try, God says, thanks, but no thanks. Your great works are like dirty rags. I love you. It's just not helping. Please come into my rest. We did nothing to save ourselves. Grace, by its very definition, means that we didn't have part of it. It means that we were seated. Meaning our effort is irrelevant. And it's, it's important that we know that it's not really grace. When we say, God, give me grace, and we try to inject our effort, it's not really grace when we inject ourselves and we force the issue. It's not true grace as we meddle and try and shoehorn ourselves into the mix. And we don't rest in what he's done. It's like that banquet. It's not a banquet. It's not a gift if you're trying to contribute to it. In fact, your contributions are offensive to the gift. How much, when, when you think of a great gift that you want to give someone, how much is it going to bum you out 
when they come and they try and contribute to it. I'm like, well, it's okay. I'll like, you know, like I'm going to do something else. A real father's heart of someone who wants to give, it's going to break the father's heart for you to try and do something to contribute to it, to earn it. Think of it this way. A judge declares you innocent. You're on trial. A judge declares you innocent. Wham! Innocent. You're free. And you're like, freedom's that way, the jail's that way. I'm going to go to jail because I just want the judge to feel better about his decision. So I'm going to be over here. You know, like, I, I want him to feel good that he, you know, made me innocent, and, you know, like, declared me innocent. So I'm going to, like, make him feel better by putting myself in jail because then he'll feel better about it and he'll feel sorry for me, you know? And isn't that what we do in our, our faith? We say it's, it's by grace that we've been saved. We've been freed. And so why do we go over here and, and we pay penance and we, we put shame on ourselves and, and we allow ourselves to feel shame because we think that it gives context to God's mercy. We think that our religious activities to, to go and make a huge deal about our, our, our mess up or, or our failure and, and we sit there and we rub our own noses in our failure because we think it'll make God feel better about giving us grace if they're really sorry. And God's like, the sin that you have, it's not who you are. Remember, you are united with Christ. You are united with him. It says you have the mind of Christ. That is, when we come into Christ, that is the nature that we take on. And so the sin that we, we engage in, the mistakes, I mean, it's not Christ in us that's doing it. It is our own mess-ups. It's not who we are. It's not our identity. Our, our mistakes should not define your identity. Heaven forbid that you let your life and, and the decisions of your life define who you are. You are a son and daughter of the king. You are not a mess-up. I don't care what you did last night. You are not a mess-up. Jesus looks at you and he says, innocent, because your nature is my nature. My heart is your heart. My mind is your mind. You're seated with me. You are with me right now, and that is not who you are. I'm bummed that you have that consequence. Man, that stinks. That's not who you are. Can that be a liberating voice for you tonight? That no matter what you have, you'll be like, gosh darn it, like I did that, I got to pay for that, but it's not who I am. And I'm going to try better to be who I am. I always say like, we're on the journey of like sucking less, you know, like I help small businesses grow and I never try and like promise like, oh, we're going to take this thing, you know, global. I just like, I'm going to help you suck a little bit less, you know, we're going to gradually, you know, go along that road. And it's great because when we really come to grace and we, we say that grace is the greatest gift God could give us, for us to resist it and inject our effort is offensive. It's not grace if we try. Grace is like, you got me. I'm seated. I, I, I don't have a shred. You ever have someone like, you, you royally messed up and you got caught. I'm trying to think of something I did like, and, like, and you got caught. And you're like, well, you know, it, it, it looks bad, but, but kind of, like, and, and no, you're right, I'm, I'm bad, but, but kind of, you know, like, you're trying to play that line, like, just a little toe of, like, innocence in there, and you know, like, you're just rotten, you know, you're like, you don't have a shred to stand on. Real grace is like, yeah, yeah, terrible, terrible, I know, and God's like, come on, let's, let's not even talk about that. The more that we try and justify our actions, the more we try to make excuses for our mistakes, the more it just confuses grace. Because God's like, that's not grace. Fourth and finally, sitting is our victory in sin. Sitting is our victory in sin. 
You think of victory, you think of fight, you know, battle, and overcoming. You know, there's like, there's some action there. Victory means action. No, our sitting is our victory over sin. Remember we said that we've been crucified with Christ, we've been baptized in him, all those things. Romans 6, 11, Galatians 2, 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you can go on and on and on and on and on. And when we say we've been crucified with Christ, that is 2,000 years ago. Sin and death were defeated at the cross. You and I weren't there to experience that. But all the sin and death that is around us that, that we have to endure because the product of the world has already been defeated 2,000 years ago. We don't need to worry about it. We've got to worry about our consequences. We've got to worry about taking the mindset of Christ, but we do not have to worry about, like, God, you need to, you need to you know, fix this sin or something. I mean, read the end of the Bible. Like, we win, essentially. You know, it's like Jesus, like, overcomes. Like, there's a happy ending. Just, you know, go to the end. And uh, we have a happy ending to our, our, our faith and life. So why do we put so much attention on our sin? The gospel, by its very nature, is victory over sin, right? When we come to know Jesus, he's like, I will redeem you of all of that. You give your heart to me, and it's, it's golden, baby. All of eternity together. How, like, yeah. And we're like, yes, that is, that is exactly what we want. So we, we go from that mindset to all of a sudden, whoa, I got a lot to do. And he's like, No. The best is just starting. Come and I will give you rest. Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, do you know what he said? It is finished. What? You, your sin, every mistake that you'll make, every mistake you'll make tomorrow, next week, tonight, I don't care. It is finished. He took care of it. The victory that he had over sin and death is finished. So nothing needs to be done. Nothing was left on the cross. We don't need to like you know, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, but that was like 85% the way there. <laughs> no, he did it all. So why do I still struggle with sin? Right? Isn't that, isn't that the, the bubbling question? You're like, okay, victory over sin, grace. Now, why is there still sin in my life? Why do I still wrestle? And here we have the great battle of humanity where we have been given the nature of Christ We've, given his, we've been given his mind, his heart. We've been given his identity. We've been given all those things. So why on earth do I still struggle? And God is, is so gracious to us that he allows us to contend against this world. He allows us to look and say, there's evil in this world and there's temptation, but I've overcome the world. And I'll persevere through this. But sometimes we get caught up in it. And we need to, to not confuse that our sin is somehow related to God's purposes for us. God will never lead you into sin to teach you a lesson. He will never allow you to make a bad decision so that he will look good. Are you with me? He will never allow you to look at sin as an opportunity for him. That is wrong. If that's your mindset, you need to repent. God's like, there's sin in the world and you will be able to choose it if your flesh so is desiring of it to partake. But that's on your call, not mine. And it, it makes the Father weep that we, we wrestle, but the nature of Christ that is in us is not him who sins. James 1.13 says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted 
by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, this is the key here, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin gives birth to death. Let me put it this way. The decision of our flesh, our conscious decisions, is where we struggle with sin. It is wrong to think that we have no control. We do. We're just really lousy at it. But let let me put it this way. And I I love ideas. I will give you free, uh, awesome business idea. You will have the number one business in this segment if you do this. So, and this is just an example. Let's say for men who choose, or men and women, pornography is an everybody issue these days. And you have a filter, right? Well, previously, and probably still existing, the filters, what they do is they kind of tattle on you. They tattle on, you know, that you were bad. You looked at the site, and so I'm in accountability with lots of other guys, and so, you know, you get these weekly reports, and, and they'll give you, you know, logs of, you know, sites that you browsed or searched or those different things. And so the idea of the filter is, you know, one, to, to block, but two, to kind of tattle on you. You know, to, to put someone who is of influence to correct you, to like, hey, look at that. We've got to have a talk. It's not going to be fun. You know, it's going to be really awkward. We're going to discuss this. You know, so the struggle with pornography, for example, this is just an example, is based on the fear of someone having a really awkward conversation with you. But let me change it this way. What if that software, and this is a free idea to anybody, what if before you go and do that search or that site, and a lot of these sites, they'll they'll give a little warning, and you click to proceed, but what if on that screen, it was your wife? What if on that screen, it was your husband or your child? Because I, I tell you that when you are faced with the decision, we choose our sin. We choose to have that desire and to be enticed to it. We look at it and then we would say yes. I think that would be a much better way to do it when we actually think of our sin and our temptation is like, I see who I'm hurting and I'm going to choose yes. We've got to think about our sin that way now. It doesn't matter if it's lying. It doesn't matter if it's gossip. I mean, there's all sorts of things. Don't misunderstand me that this is about drugs and alcohol and smoking and, you know, sex. Sin's a wide, wide thing. But we need to look at it as that we have a decision for sin. And it's God's face that we're saying, I continue. We need to know that we have a choice in every single decision that we make. I can't think of a, a single mistake that I've made where I've sinned where I didn't willfully choose it. I was praying this week, maybe it was last week, And this thought came to me is that sin has no victory over me of that which I have not freely surrendered to Satan. There's no victory of sin in my life that I have not freely surrendered over to Satan. Now we we might truly be mastered by sin. There is bondage that alcohol that sex, that lying, that manipulation, there's a bondage that can take place. 
And we need to ask God to alleviate us from that bondage. It says, I will not be mastered by anything, 1 Corinthians 6.12. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. But we need to, in the context of sinning, of knowing that our sin is paid for, of knowing that Christ sees us perfectly, to not give ourselves a free license to go and blow up. Because though God sees us righteous, blameless, holy, set apart, perfect, spotless, we unfortunately have to deal with the consequences of our sin on earth. There's nothing prohibiting us from making a mistake and having to severely deal with the consequences. God's heart breaks for that, but we cannot look at our seated, righteous mind of Christ's nature and think it's a license like, woohoo, free for all. God's like, I'm calling you to freedom. I'm giving you freedom not to choose sin, is what he's saying. And so we have this whole thing. I'm going to wrap it up with this. We have this struggle where we're trying to be good Christians. If you look at your faith that way, where you're, you're trying to, to do good. You're trying to pray. You're trying to read. And maybe you're just like, the Christian walk is hard. And I don't know if I'm really up for it. I don't know if I can hang with this level of expectation. I don't know if I can hang that if I miss that expectation about the guilt that comes on me. Right? Are you with me? That the, the Christian walk itself is not that enjoyable. You're like, I don't get to do this. And we define our Christian walk by all these things that we cannot do. And I believe that God wants to restore us by saying, come into the abundance of what I've already done for you. You come to me and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to call you to rest. I'm going to give your heart and your soul. I'm going to put it at ease and I'm going to take you on vacation. And it's going to be great. And he's calling us to that banqueting table. He's calling us to enjoy the goodness of his victory because it's already done. And the pride of man wants to say, I can do it. I contributed to it. I want part of it. God's saying, no, come to me. But we have this struggle. We have this struggle of trying and effort. And there's a, a strong analogy. I need you guys to listen and to, to get this. If you know of anything about lifeguarding or saving people, you know, someone's out drowning and you go out in the water to go save them. They they have the strong potential to drown you by you saving them. Because they're thrashing, they're clinging. They will, they will pull you both under and you both will perish. And so what people will do, this is legit, people will swim out there and someone's thrashing, they will not come down, they will not like finally rest. They'll like give them one and knock them out. Because it's easier, like, it's easier to save the life with a limp body than someone who's trying. It's going to be easier for you to grow in your faith when you stop trying to be good, trying all your effort, and you just finally let him bring you around. Amen? Amen. So if you're saving somebody, sometimes you'll, if you're the lifeguard, like, that, that dude's bumming, <laughs> but he's thrashing way too hard, and I'm just going to wait it out, because he's going to get tired any second, and I'll come and get him. Because there's no sense in me risking both of our lives I don't think God wants to knock you out. That's not very loving. But I think God loves us so much that in order to save us, he will let us get tired. 
God loves us so much that he will let us getting tired, he'll let us get tired of the Christian walk before he comes and grabs us. Because if it's really grace, we have no part. If it's really victory, we have no part. Are you you getting this theme? That we have no part in here. Hallelujah. (laughs) I stink at that. (laughs) Maybe right now, you're in that sea of Christianity and you are just clamoring. You are screaming, hollering. You're just trying to stay afloat. And maybe right now, God's just gently waiting for you to finally rest so he can pull you and he'll be the one that saves you. Because as long as you're trying and struggling, it's going to be so much harder for God to come and bring you and, and, and pull you into his arms and take you to shore. I want us to be able to really marinate on this, to marinate on, on what it means of the struggle that we have in the sea of religion. I'm not here to lead a community about being religious. I'm here for us to encounter the Father's heart and his intention for us to have everything that he wants for us. And so out of all of chapter two of Ephesians, we need to know that he's calling us to his rest and it's the best place. I'm gonna have the band come and let's just stand and pray. God, your word is so good. And it's so good, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we are seated with you. I thank you, Lord, that it is finished. It's completed. Lord, for us to really experience grace, Lord, you are calling us to get out of the way. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just lift up the burden of religion here. God, you're not about religion. You're not about the do's and don'ts. God, you're about Jesus. The authentic Jesus that transformed the world. Surely, that there is more to the life that Jesus promised than just being good. The world would not change simply by people doing good. God, I believe that you've called us to a new season here. Lord, I believe that You are moving our community. Lord, you are are raising us for a new time. And God, that you are calling us to stop struggling to be religious. And you're calling us to your banqueting table. Lord, I pray that we would be able to come and enjoy, Lord, what you've set for us. I pray that we'd be able to come and enjoy to the fullest what you've given and done for us on the cross, knowing, Lord, that we don't need to live out of a life of scarcity that it's not this one time that I'm going to get this and so I'm going to hoard it all, but Lord, you never run dry. Lord, we thank you that you've given an abundance for us. You will never let it go weary or dry. You'll never let it be famished. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that we would just would take peace. And so, Lord, as, as we come here and worship, I just, I pray, Lord, 
that once again, as you first spoke 2,000 years ago to people who were unsaved, to come near and I will give you rest. That once again tonight here, Lord, whether we've been saved for five seconds or five years or 50 years or whatever it is, Lord, that you would refresh the call to come and I will give you rest. That's what we want, Lord. We want a fresh heart. We want a clean slate. We want to live a Christian life from this position of victory, knowing that you did it all, Lord. So help us tonight. And I'm just going to invite you all, if, if you are tired of the struggle of religion, of Christianity, if you, if you feel like you're that, that person that's in the water trying to figure out what's the formula, how do I do this, and you feel like God is calling you just to rest, He's calling you to give up so I now can come in. I invite all who want to come here in the front and worship. You can just come and sit. It would be a great posture to have. But you can come and you can stand. You can raise your arms. You can do whatever you want. I want to invite all who need a refresher from the Lord to say, I've done it all. I'm going to bring you my peace, but I need you to quit. If that is you, I want you as we worship here to come forward and just be at the front. We're going to just sing a few songs here, but just come and have a moment with Jesus. Jesus is here to meet with your heart. We're not here to have a good, short message with some really easy songs to sing. We're not here for that. We're here to do work with the King. We are here to know the heart of the Father more. We are here to experience Jesus. And so if you are in a position where you need God to reaffirm that he has you seated next to him, is calling you would you come forward as we worship and we'll have some of our leaders up here and what we'll do if, if, if you're up here then be open that we're going to come by and maybe just lay a hand on you and just pray over you that we'll just maybe it's a word maybe it's a picture it's just a blessing if, if you feel that that's you come here and we want to be able to pray with you this is so instrumental for us. So, Lord, we thank you for that as we worship you now. We pray that you administer to us only as you can. We thank you that we're here, but, Lord, that you are the one who ministers. We worship you now, Lord.